Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Peeling the Product. Today, our special guest is Karen Kim, currently a PM at Mozilla. The topic or product that we're going to peel today is mainly Miro, the uh, collaboration tool. However, uh, because of the integrations we see there, we will also get into how Zoom plays an important role in leveraging Miro. So with that, uh, let me introduce uh, the other people on tonight's episode. We have Yogesh Sharma. Why don't you take a couple minutes to introduce yourself? I think it's uh, Karen should do that. And I'm the usual host with you guys. Uh, and you have been listening to us for last so many months patiently. Thank you for all your support that you've been providing. And today, Karen will, Karen, why don't you just go ahead from here and just tell you a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you both for having me here. It is such a delight just to talk talk shop, honestly, on your platform. And um, I will, I'll frame this by mentioning that I am a, I'm not a newish PM anymore, but I did break into tech later in my career. So I started off as an investment banker after college and for almost, almost five years, maybe four and a half. And um, after learning more about product management through friends than my nearest and dearest, I ended up learning a lot more through the collaborative side. So collaborative technology, whiteboarding and everything. I did not have a designer background. I didn't, um, I was very used to the bread and butter of what college students would have today, say expertise in sheets, docs, whichever, whichever mm-hmm. workspace you decide to go with. But mm-hmm. with that in mind, I ended up scaling the curve with products like Miro because the learning curve wasn't so steep. And um, and I think that and the idea of having tech become not such an ivory tower really stood out to me. And that's why I'm at Mozilla. It's very open source. We love playing with the community and trying to figure out how we can um, develop technological advances together, which is why I'm Miro. I would say I am a power user of Miro today and I love singing its praises, but to go into this further, let me see. Um, I would frame Miro right now as maturing. It's looking to scale into a market that's starting to level out. Um, they just elected a new CFO last year. Currently, they're boasting, I think, over 50 million global users. And as of last year, they secured a 17.5 billion valuation following them, $400 million in Series C funding. So lots of growth. And they took it, um, they really dove into a problem, maybe a, a vacuum, I would say, caused by the pandemic because it started in 2011 mm-hmm. with a little bit more rebranding. It really took root when folks were looking for new jobs, or they had um, they were suddenly forced into remote work life situations because of the pandemic. And I think because a lot of folks who may not have been super tech savvy found out about this product and about a community um, built approach, let's say an earned marketing flywheel and viral looping and all that. Um, it made it a lot easier for them to start jumping into a, a collaborative workspace that was digital rather than in person. And so, and I can give you an anecdote here. So when I when I was learning how to go through the basic product management skills and everything, mm-hmm. I realized that structuring my mind into a Google Doc, for example, is hard. 
especially if I'm trying to learn all these different concepts and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how do I redirect my mental map? Mm-hmm. Having a platform like Miro really helped me because yeah, first of all, I had that basic understanding from PowerPoint sheets, stocks, mm-hmm. and um, it al- and having that previous knowledge made it re- um, and having an easy transition into a brand new space such as Miro gave me a fast to learn experience in, and free, I would say free at the time it was, it gave me unlimited user power. And I think they still offer that in their premium structure, but it gave me that power. It empowered me to start building out mental maps and having a giant workspace that mm-hmm. I think really lends itself well, if you're brainstorming on a divergent level. So if we go back to the product management, double diamond curve for UX designers and engineers as well, if mm-hmm. we want to be more product centric, it really suits the earlier phases of discovery, no matter where you are in, in in whichever industry. I think Miro really did a good job in solidifying community. Um, one competitive parallel I'll bring to mind, and at the time for me, was Mural. So Mural also started in 20, 2011, but Miro had really leveraged the community platform, especially during the pandemic when people were looking to network more on a digital scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and allowing a creator community, which is interesting. You never, even when we think of templates, it's harder to think of creators really tapping into that for a digital workspace, a collaborative workspace, but they somehow managed to do it. And I think, let's see, I mean, since 2020, more than a thousand creators have built and shared more than 1700 templates in the Miroverse, which is awesome. astounding. All um, right. So and I have a question for you. I, I mean, yeah. I know you, you are really going with it. So I have a few questions for you. Since you, you were transitioning, uh, I mean, you have like have been working for as a product manager for how, how long you've been working as a product manager now? Two years. I hit the two-year two mark. Years. Okay. So great. So so you, you are a perfect uh, person. Like you're one of the audience for the Miro, like where people, like initially it was for product managers, UX and UI. And now it's been like expanding to almost every possible user base that you can think about in the industry. So I would love to know, like when you were initially uh, learning about Miro or like when you learned about Miro and there are different phases of product management uh, since you were um, new in the in the industry as a product manager. What do you think? Like, how does uh, how did Miro help in your success? And because that will ha- really help other product managers who are, who are trying to be, become a product manager in the industry right now. That hey, there's a tool called Miro, and how it can help me to enhance my skills, also will to succeed me in my in my role. Absolutely, great question here. Um, I would say Miro helped me start building product case case studies, for example. So, um. I think when I was doing my research, I could have different sections visually mm-hmm. laid out for me. It's it's basically allowing yourself, your mind, a break from cognitive load because you're able to branch out multiple spaces. It's like having a it's like having a, a digital desk. Mm-hmm. And yep. so with that in mind, you have post-its, you can you can work with other people too. I started as an individual mm-hmm. user. Mm-hmm. Um but then as I started going into more collaborative team roles, which is a huge, the bread and butter, honestly, for product mm-hmm. management, yep. it was easy to share. Um, and it'll, and that I think I'm one of the big, one of the greatest gifts of Miro is the, the follow me tool. So if you're showing, if you go, if we're going through the zoom angle here, if you're screen sharing on zoom and you're on your Miro board, you can have a, there's a follow me tool that allows people to see where you are. And that makes it so much easier because they're not scrambling to figure out where you're, mm-hmm. which part of the workspace you're on. But 
you know, the scale, the, the, the learning curve was pretty, pretty low, which was great for me because I could just start picking up quickly. Um, mm-hmm. It gave me mental models to think, or sorry, templates um, to really think about because product, there's so many different models out there and I know. Um, they allow when the template library in Miro, you can either use a pre-filled template or an empty template. So it, depending on how, whether or not you're familiar with the product, mm-hmm model. It's been super easy and efficient to use. I actually got looped in to Miro via LinkedIn. I ended up um, becoming part of the user group. They were they were nurturing a lot of regional um, Miro user groups at the time for, for purely digital events. But then now that I think they started opening up to a hybrid of in-office or in-chapter lo- in events as well as digital. So having that kind of network where people are starting to learn together and start giving ideas and feedback on how to make Miro better really made it um, a more unified community. So when I got looped into that, I actually started thinking about ways to incorporate product thinking into my life. So I think um, one of the best one of the best pieces of advice I got through networking and trying to figure out if product management was right for me is understanding how we optimize and design our lives, our basic routine. So for example, um, and I think this is the critical question, uh, what it, what makes you mad, sad, or glad? So for example, you wake up, you go to the bathroom and maybe you're in a new place and the doorknob is something you're not familiar with and you bonk your, you bonk your hand, you bonk your elbow. <laughs> if it makes it, let's just putting it in a problem setting. Does this problem make you happy? Oh, okay. You're a glutton for, you're a glutton for pain. Um, yay. No, nothing, no need to fix it. If mm-hmm. it makes you sad, oh, that kind of sucks. But it's, you, you can work with this. You'll, you'll get, you'll get over it. But if it makes you mad, oh, if it makes you mad, you're going to try and figure out the best way to attack this problem and fix it. Mm-hmm. So bringing, bringing this kind of thinking to one of the many, many tools that product managers use, uses makes it really easy for you to learn the insides and outs and how you can apply it in unorthodox settings. So when I started um, trying to network more and build my own product community, mm-hmm. I leveraged the user group. I leveraged the user group coordinator at Miro and started thinking of ways we could tackle social problems via LinkedIn. And mm-hmm. if you recall during LinkedIn, there was a wave of more personal questions. It's no longer, it was no longer the, oh, I am so proud to say that I got this job, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't, it's, it, it was more, it was grittier and it was real. I think when people, uh, it's especially, excuse me, especially when I think of um, college students and people who are trying to figure out how to get jobs during the pandemic. And as we're seeing mm-hmm. all, all the layoffs right now happening in the tech industry, there's, there's a realness that has really grown. And I'm very proud of that. So when I started talking more about those issues and people starting to find common ground, that's where we found the gold in building communities together because we had these shared problems, shared values. And that's when I tapped in Miro, which is a really great product resource. And um, one of the events that I threw before I joined Mozilla was how do you whiteboard um, solutions for imposter syndrome? Wow. When you, when you grab people to talk about this together, you start thinking beyond the parameters of this is my job. Yep. at this company as a product manager. It's no longer the sense of roles and responsibilities. And I think once you start understanding that a tool can be used in so many different ways, it gives you more joy. It gives you more empowerment because you're not limited. And Miro does a very good job at with the marketing too, of just framing things as the imagination being unlimited. And so 
when you're in that divergent process, you are, you can do, you can honestly do anything. I've hosted virtual parties with um, Miro as a background at my company. It really adds a whole experiential layer to technology, which we hadn't really seen in the past. And um, I'll, I'll close this uh, by saying that there was a really wonderful Deloitte study for digital trends in 2023. And we're starting to see that, and especially among Gen Zers, but I think for us as well, our generation, it's not really a matter of screens anymore. We're becoming device more device agnostic. We want to have this blend of digital and physical experiences mm-hmm. and not be confined to our phones, our laptops, yeah. our desktops. And so with that in mind, key companies have to figure out what the next step is because our needs are evolving. I mean, even with the pandemic, we're out of we're out of the 100% remote unless you're an essential worker stage. We're starting to get into the stage where there is almost an even split between um, 100% in-person jobs versus hybrid or full, full remote. Well, this is awesome, Karen. I mean, so you have explained so nicely about Miro and like I have rarely used Miro. I've heard so many good feedback about Miro. But as you said, like, Everyone has a different, there's so many tools for the product managers. And sometimes you limit yourself to the tools which are utilized within your company. And you don't go beyond that for multiple reasons. Uh, And then uh, most of the time you want to register and you say, okay, this is a paid version. Oh, I don't want to have a time for the paid version. I don't want to go through that legal hassle of, hey, I want to switch to that tool. So there's so many tools right now for the product managers, Asana, Zoom. Okay, let's, let's go back to this wonderful discussion. I want to talk about Zoom and Miro started the same year, established in the same year, 2011, two different trajectory, two different audience. Uh, one has a market value of around right, 4.9 billion right now, or maybe more. Uh, and one has just, as you explained in the beginning, around 1 billion, if I'm not wrong, that what is Miro's market value is? Uh, 70.5 billion. How much? 17.5 billion. Is that so? Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was last year. I'm, I'm, I'm pointing to last year's numbers when they got the the 400 million in Series C, but they've done quite well for themselves. I think they're top in that collaborative workshop, or sorry, on whiteboarding space. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's amazing. So let me just reconfirm the market value of Zoom before I I give something <laughs> wrong. So yeah, it's that, right now it's 19.97 billion, 20 billion almost. So now you you. If you have to say uh, from the user's perspective, let's just just step back for a second and say, okay, who are the main audience from your perspective for the from the from the Miro's perspective, and how they differ from the audience of Zoom right now? Because there's a lot of intertwining. We we all understand that so many intertwining in these tools nowadays, especially in the collaborative tools. Uh, we have been talking about whiteboarding and. When I, talk, I was talking to someone to, this morning and he explained me that Miro has integrated all the best features from almost different applications. You can mm-hmm. you can think about it. What Miro has done that is they have taken, they have looked at a different application in the market and say, oh, you know what, what is the best feature in this one? Let me bring that. Let me bring that. So I, I am not a user. I haven't used as Miro and I want to know what is your perspective about that too. First, mm-hmm. I want to know how the two audience for the two different tools are different. As a product manager. I would say Miro would be, 
Actually, no, honestly, I think Zoom would be easier to introduce to a non-tech-savvy person because it's been established for quite a long time. There's, um, And I think the pandemic really, really helped cement the fact that video conferencing is here to stay. Mm-hmm. It is. When it comes down to it, Zoom has fewer controls, which makes it easier for people to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. I would say your, your grandparents might not need a digital um, workshopping space. So in terms of a job to be done, Zoom has lent itself really well to to make people be able to talk to each other. However, I think with the transition of the market space right now, Mm -hmm. we're starting to see players like Microsoft's refurbished teams, Mm -hmm. along with their many, many, many integrations and their tools, their in-house tools. Um, Mm -hmm. I think... Mirror and and to to go back to Miro's target audience for a bit, I think it is going into the productivity space. So I think in terms of a user audience, it applies more to Gen Z college students, people who are looking to collaborate more in a hybrid hybridized sense. Okay. Whereas Zoom is a lot, I think it's a lot more broad because we still use Zoom for, for example, this um podcast discussions, business meetings, uh, even local politic. Mm-hmm. local politics um events so it's a lot more it's a lot more useful to someone who just wants to have a one and done call or multiple calls recurring syncs whereas miro is something for people who want to brainstorm so and it, it's easier I, I i think i want to send center this around college students or early product managers because this is a way for them to tune in start off with a pretty usable tool set, easy to use, easy to discover, easy to share. Whereas Zoom is Zoom. I think it, Miro hasn't really become a household name yet or household verb. Yes, that's that's so true. I mean, a lot of people have been talking about uh, Miro. In fact, uh, the first time I heard about Miro was from Gen Z generation itself. And that was itself, like I heard about it like a few couple of years back and I said, okay, I, I mean, during my research, it came up multiple times, but it, I never used that tool because there are so many tools in the market. But yeah, so since you have just mentioned the, uh, described the the market for Miro, uh, I mean, it may be the past market, but since you use a very important term, brainstorming, and I, I and Trent, I would love to know from you now, and uh, we'll come back to you, Karen, that during uh, our brainstorming session in the past, what were the different methods we were using? We were doing a real whiteboarding in person, right? and then the, ch- the things changed during the pandemic for sure. And then we start uh, utilizing different methods, like we were developing the maybe the Microsoft uh, PPDs, or we were developing our, our process diagrams on different tools and whatnot. But what else did you use uh, during pandemic, especially during pandemic trend for the brainstorming? Yeah, I mean, uh, during the pandemic, Teams had a very basic sort of draw function that yeah. you use uh, yeah. mm-hmm. to very, very crudely map something out. Um, yeah. The other thing, I mean, some people were using, you know, Mural or, or Lucid Chart or things like that, or, or Lucid Spark, yep. I think it is. Um, and I think a lot of people, if you're on a video call like this, you know, you use your hands a lot. Exactly. Yeah. Your, yeah. Exactly. That, that's what I was going to do. Because- you know, it, and so it, it can be very disorganized at, at some point. Um, and I think the, the brainstorming aspect is really interesting because so many of us are very visual learners. Yes. And concepts are very, that are, you know, complex and have technology involved. 
uh, they're so much easier to explain with a visual. And so if you don't, if you don't have time to create a nice PowerPoint around it, then the, yeah. you know, Miro is especially useful. And now I will, I will go back to that, this because, you know, uh, like in last three, four years, I was, I have become a big fan of infographics and then, and then look, looking for a, like, if you're using a PowerPoint now, they're going to do something called more icons. The, the number of icons has increased in that, their system. But whenever I was doing a brainstorming in last three, four years, I was saying, okay, what can I do basically to explain this? Like to develop even a beautiful P- uh, PPT or PowerPoint over there. And one thing I struggled continuously was they're not beautiful infographics. And then I, I thought, okay, can I develop something myself? Can I draw something? And I was always struggling because of the different tools. They were my sketching was not that great and whatnot. And with Miro, as you just said, now is that the things are changing now. People are are bringing their imagination, and the collaboration is is far better. And earlier we were assuming that okay, if I'm making some signs through my hands, the thirty people who are watching me on Zoom, they're able to understand what I'm trying to talk about. Is was it was that I'm talking about rocket or car or whatnot? So that kind of thing, like. Yeah, so definitely as a, as a user, I, I feel like, yes, I struggled in the past and Miro can be a big collaborator tool. Okay, apart from collaboration, um, you have used templates a lot, uh, Karen. Right? Yep. Let's come back to that part now. This is this is where I feel like the things, they have changed drastically or maybe they have changed the world for the product managers and even for the other, other people. Uh, since I'm not aware about other people who are using it right now, maybe the marketing people and whatnot. So different templates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's say I am a, a new product manager who just little have a little knowledge out of the first step, it should be the product discovery, right? Uh, people mm-hmm. call it ideation. I say it's product discovery and whatnot. So when you're looking as a, as a new product manager and you say, okay, I have zero idea. What is the steps looks like? What a time that looks like? Now you have a, a, a good start in your career over there. Mm-hmm. In last three, four months, we have seen a new thing coming up in the market where it, which is becoming a chirpy word, chat GPT, okay? <laughs> now let's talk about that thing also. Because now we should, as a product manager, we should think about what is a threat, what is not a threat. So at this point, I'm a, I'm a Miro product manager. I'm a product manager in the Miro. I'm thinking, okay, what can be done? Uh, or do, you, do I think that chat GPT can be a threat to us? Because now it's it's being, bringing up a lot of things. In If I put as a, like, hey, show me the PRD in the discovery phase. It writes a beautiful PRD, which is not that beautiful because we have found so many flaws in the in the chat GPT thing in the last few months now, on the few, past few weeks. Mm-hmm. But let's say, as a as a as a company, we're a newbie, we have zero idea what a product management. What it looks beautiful, at least it's giving some summary. What what you thought about is as a product manager for Miro, what will you do, or what do you think? Uh, does Miro need to make any changes, or they are doing right right whatever they're following right now is is the right path. I can highlight a few things that they're doing right now with generative AI. So yes, we are seeing the we're seeing quite a lot of um, startups and midsize and larger companies diving into AI and um, mm-hmm. ethics aside for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, AI, yeah, AI as a tool is re- it's wonderful. I, mm-hmm. I would say AI has been here for a very long time, and now we're starting to see really, really solid user facing impacts. Mm-hmm. which is why we're talking about it to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, the generative AI that Miro has been pursuing lately, it's to enhance, this is what AI is supposed to do. It's supposed to enhance your workflow. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, cut maybe cut a few hours, but the understanding is that you, as a I as a product manager, already knows how to how to do these things. Or I use the templates to mm-hmm. use as study guides. Honestly, that's what I do from time to time. If I'm thinking, oh, how can I craft a a, a product problem statement? I mean, how can I um how can I craft a good one? And then I need to do it because I've I've been through so many meetings and I just need to kind of have a word, mm-hmm. <laughs> just like have a study guide to relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, when I need to, in the, in when I'm very busy, I go to that and then I can just, I customize it based on that. And when, and that's what I feel like chat GPT gives us those kinds of templates in word form. And we're, we can, if we want to talk about mm-hmm. gener- generative imagery, sure. It, it gives us the concepts that we are trying to build in our minds. Um, and we can, we can incorporate that in Miro. Sure. Um, I've, I've heard of video game designers trying to build games and they construct, um, generative AI images to just give a sense of what they want to envision as their concept, but they're not going to use that as their box art because it it crawls on a lot of artistry and, Mm -hmm. and some of them might even have the skills to retouch and everything and do that. But it gives, I think the benefit of AI is it's supposed to empower users, not make them afraid Mm -hmm. of taking jobs and everything. So if we go on along Miro's theory, I mean, um, let's see, the CEO, Andre Kusid, has this vision of powering co-creation for a new era. Very strong words. And if we want to think about that from an AI perspective, there are ways we can do this so that the tool is, we understand the power of the tool we're using, which is Miro and AI. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can leverage that to the best strengths, such as making things easier for our users. We love making things easier for our users. Um, So included in the package so far from what I've heard is, Users are able to create an image from a keyword in a sticky. They can remove the background from an image. And I mean, if you if we want to go back to the infographic example, that is really nice to have. Mm-hmm. Um, another is expanding a mind map with a list of questions based on keywords in a selective node. It can create user story cards. So all of these points are meant to make a product manager or UX designer's life easier. I think um, for me, and I, I think you mentioned this earlier, Gesh, but um. I, I would say if I'm in a pinch, I want caveman tools. I, I just want, I just want something simple. I like MacGyvering a wireframe, which Miro allows you to do. I understand Figma, but if I'm in a pinch, I will make a concept wire, like very rough stage wireframe in Miro because it gives you the shapes. It gives you everything just to layer, copy, paste, group. And so that if I need to do that, that it gives me the convenience and the speed. Imagine AI helping with that. That would be really nice. Um, so it, it allows to it allows you to follow form. And I think um, Timmy Gebru had a really good chat um, or had a really good uh, podcast about this the other day. It gives form. It's not supposed to replace content that we our human minds generate. So our human minds are so are just complex, beautiful, sometimes horrible, but beautiful nonetheless things, and. AI can't really replicate that. It can proceed to follow a form that our minds set to, but we generate the content. We are, our minds are that powerful in terms of generating and calculating ideas. So AI is a supplement. It's not, it's not a a replacement, a replacer. I tend to agree. I mean, it, it can be used as a starting point to generate ideas, but it still starts with your prompt. Mm-hmm. And one key thing is that you know, as you iterate on your prompt and kind of, you know, uh, give more criteria to to build upon something, 
it, the the answers and and input or I'm sorry the output gets better. Yep. And so I, I'm a big fan of you know the the brainstorming use case in in with Miro where you you may start with seven or eight ideas, but um, AI can help build that into 10, 20, 30. And I don't know what I've read from brainstorming is that the, often the the best ideas are the ones that are after the obvious ones are are exhausted already. Mm. And so iterating through them, not you know destroying bad ideas, but like building upon them maybe in un, unexpected ways. Um, ChatGPT and other AI formats can can give that that layer of inspiration, sort of or a sounding board type effect. Exactly. That's awesome. I mean, Karen, you just touched something. You know, uh, I'm just thinking like a product manager as a doctor's talk. Mm -hmm. So, and now I'm thinking about like, uh, after listening to you, both of you, is that Miro can be a tool which can be help me to do a, a lot of ideation myself and and can do a lot of, create a lot of visualization myself. In, and I can be doing a lot of fights with my ideas because and that that's what the future should be looking like as as we all know that it's a it's a tool to assist us not to replace us and mm -hmm. it, it cannot replace it in in any ways because we think from a multiple perspective as a human being uh we think about ethics uh and that's one aspect how much we take care of ethics is a different story or dif for the various reasons but we think about the uh, emotions also. We also think about the usability, and and you just right now just mentioned about the usability. So I, I was thinking about like as an AI man uh, is is generative AI is coming into the picture. How much it is taking into consideration about the 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 usability? Because as as you just said, we want to give the user all the easy things, mm -hmm. but the question is. As a product manager, I always think about like how much the easy things that we have given or the good to have things that we have given to the user are actually adding values uh, to our products anymore. Say there was a time uh, that we wanted to have a give all the good to have things in the in the and and while developing that we were consuming a lot of resources. We were investing a lot of capital into the into the development. Now the question is coming back as a as a product manager, which I always think about it. Okay, why are we building this product? Okay, and that if the if the idea is to develop the collaboration, let's go back for the mirror now. The idea is collaboration. Uh, yes, great. The generative AI is there. We want to do that, but let's let's go back to our audience. Who are the audience? And if the idea was and the powerful statement that you mentioned about the CEO was to increase the collaboration, right? Yep. Now the question is how this generative AI is gonna increase the collaboration. That's where my co my key focus is now. In the next, if I'm a product manager, that's my thought about uh, from the mirror's perspective. Let's step back now. Now I want to talk about the challenges. Okay, mm -hmm. since you have used a mirror, you are the user. You tell me what are the key challenges that you came across, and you felt like. Oh my goodness! They they could have done something better over here. What was that? Did you first encounter something like that? One of the greatest challenges, and I, um, Trent mentioned white Microsoft whiteboards, is we're going to there are there are a lot more similar feet or similar offerings in the market now. It's kind of at a point where anyone can create a post-it 
or a whiteboard space. It, it, there's a le- there's less differentiation among the features at the moment. Especially imagine if you are if your company uses Microsoft Teams mm-hmm. and whiteboards is just right there. And yeah. so there's no there's less switch there's less need to um, switch between apps and it allows a lot more fluidity in what in your workspace what you're doing and they're going to have AI I mean micro <laughs> they, have, they have it yeah they already have it it's a, it's yeah, there they so needing it right now yeah exactly so <laughs> that I think that is something that is going to be a challenge moving forward because they're going to be increasing competitors in the space because it's here to stay there's a stat there's um estimated mm-hmm. growth in the market still over the next few years mm-hmm. and I think another thing is I answer, I I kind of mentioned that their users have been widespread. Mm-hmm. Now and looking at this is um just as a product manager looking into their current strategy, they need to define what their value proposition is because they have so many competitors and one of the mm-hmm. biggest competitors will offer convenience to users in a way that they cannot. Mm-hmm. And let's say um yeah, who who knows what Apple will bring. We sometimes this is interesting to see, and this is from my perspective, just working for a, a browser. When the OS comes into play, it gets a lot more difficult. So let's say Apple could release. Apple already has some features under its belt, and it might tap into a really sophisticated AI situation. But we don't we don't know yet because they're very they're very private about that kind of those kinds of development. So maybe we'll see a lot of this moving forward. This there there are collaborative services and features already offered under the Apple umbrella, but yeah, it becomes a lot difficult, a lot more difficult to justify your own service if you don't own your OS or platform. Yeah. You don't own your OS. So Windows is <laughs> a whole other example and that's already at play. And we know that because there are announcements, there's a lot more, there are a lot more news today and discussions around that. Um, so yeah, how it will play in an OS universe will be interesting and uh, yeah where os is still dominate quite a lot um so that's going to be another one defining their audience going back to that because the audience has been so widespread now they're starting to scale but they also have to realize what is my value proposition amidst all this competition among, among these threats um to my business and um trying to define that. And I think this is where they're starting to go into the business route. So um, let me see, going into our last fall, Miro opened Miro Labs, which is meant to provide employees and community members the chance to develop experimental apps. And um, it's a way for them to incubate product projects. So they have that. And uh, they I think this was a few days ago, actually. Uh, they just announced that they joined... Um, Amazon Web Services Partner Network via the Accelerate program, which is meant to help startups. It gives them more resources wow. along the way. Um, mm-hmm. So they're officially on the market, the AWS marketplace. So any AWS customers affiliated with that startup program can purchase Miro Enterprise. So they're starting to branch out into that. So maybe this is their time to zoom into more of the business side of things, expand that more. And and this is where I'm curious to see what will happen in the f- in the near future, how they're going to maintain the individual users who don't have enterprise accounts. So, so do you think like they, sh- uh, uh, let me just ask this question to you and Trent, both of you. So do you think that Miro should have gone or should be going in a few months on the route of Microsoft? What I mean by that is that Microsoft has done something very cleverly for over the years they have done the collaboration with universities, schools, 
and what that mean is basically if you if you remember that since we became so used to using it microsoft from the childhood like hey excel powerpoint wow blah 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 no matter what whether we are in school universities or in office space we were always using it and and we became a, like a brand ambassador also for these different tools right because when we i remember like a lot of time when when i was graduating out of college and they, i was constantly hearing in, even in the in my office space hey guys if you're not expert with powerpoint become expert in the powerpoint if you're not expert in the word or excel become expert there so the what the impact is that when you you are developing a now future user that no matter whether you were a user or not you have to become a user to become more and to be efficient or to to succeed in this job mm-hmm. the question is can miro or should miro goes go should go in that direction because it's a collaborative tool so it can be easily be used in that manner and if yes what are the challenges they have this is where i run into the fear because as product managers we have so many tools at our disposal and that itself could lead to cognitive overload so but at the same time i mean if we grew if we all grew up in the standardized school structure we were taught to learn one way when there are many other ways to learn and sometimes our minds might not be equipped or they're not equipped but they just learn differently compared to what the standardized school set tells us and so that that honestly that's a user problem on its own because you're increasingly frustrated if you're an oral user or um oral learner excuse me and or and then or you're visual and then it, they're forcing you to kind of not do visual pro, um problems if you if you've heard of the the way to solve certain math problems today and and kids get dinged because they didn't follow a certain method <laughs> that seems mm-hmm. very frustrating um but honestly i i'm I'm wondering if there's going to be a decentralization of tools in the future. Um, we're we're seeing this idea of an ownership economy, and the kids these days are trying to find even more ownership through, let's say, TikTok, bringing in TikTok here and bringing in social media and mm-hmm. more globalized ways to learn about a variety of different products. Mm-hmm. I don't think Miro is going to be on on the same level as what we had to learn with uh, PowerPoint. PowerPoint exactly. slides. Okay. But I think with an, every generation of products in the past, it it brings a whole new set of problems that a new generation of products will have to address. And so with Excel, I mean, as a banker, I use so many different functions all the time because I was running financial modeling. But mm-hmm. as a product manager, that's a lot of feature bloat. Um, there were so many, and it still runs this problem to this day. Google simplified the experience a little bit with Sheets. And so maybe, maybe things get easier in the future with financial modeling and all that. Maybe that's just one use case out of many, but I suspect that if things are cheaper for schools and universities to have more bundles, and maybe, maybe we'll see this whole thing with (laughs) the streaming wars and everything. Maybe there are bundles, subscription bundles that we could have beyond Microsoft or uh, the 360 suite. Um, Maybe there could be, yeah, maybe more value packages around things that have made um, just analogous experiences easier. So maybe there's a better notion might be somewhere in the mix of instead of Google Docs or Note, because it combines the best of the two worlds. And um, Yogesh, you've mentioned that Miro does really well in combining 
of a bunch of different really well-to-do tools here. Mm-hmm. I think the next step in their puzzle is how do we become, how do we avoid becoming a Swiss army knife while find, while having value for startups in this and most recently, but also maybe for college students in the future, maybe they go into that partnership level, as you were mentioning. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a great analogy of, of Swiss knife you just mentioned. Uh, I will remember that. Uh, anyone should who's listening to this podcast should be remembering that part too. But the reason I, I ask you about that, uh, that market space is that uh, stepping back as a product manager, there are a lot of things as a product manager we do. Like we look into our user group, we, we start thinking about demographics, but we also start thinking about like, hey, at the end of the day, it's a product. Uh, the idea is to sell uh, and you want to make a revenue, right? And the, I, that's where I'm coming now. That's okay. Where, how are you making a uh, revenue? How are we expanding? Because since you just mentioned that there are a lot of players who are coming with the same kind of features and big players, not only small players, but the big players now, that mm-hmm. means the, com- the competition is intensifying in the coming days. And the, 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 the real challenge as a Miro product manager for me is now to retain my customers. So the first thing is retain my customers or to second is expand my customers. So I'm, that's where I'm coming now. Okay, now... The challenge is how do you retain that customers? That means you have to develop some new features or you need to think something. At the same time, the expansion of the customers. And that's what I'm asking you now. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that we are going to expand? College and universities, you just mentioned, is an old approach, may or may not work. And there are other challenges in, even in that space right now. But one thing which I, I can say um, is that colleges and schools are there to stay. At least schools are there to stay. They're not going away. Colleges, yes, maybe we will see a disruption in maybe a decade or two or may not. That's a long story. To, uh, I don't know what are the different ma- things we, we play in the Maybe we'll see a mass movement with, with say, the study loans are too high. We are not going to colleges. Maybe. But that's a, but schools, they will stay. For now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, one key product lesson for folks listening in if you are a power user of a company or a tool, temper your biases with realistic expectations. Because <laughs> as much as I want to do, uh, as much as I want to see um, Miro's future go really far, there are certain limitations. And again, one of them was the OS point. The other is uh, the market competition. So I'll go. I'll go about this in two ways. So one is how the question is how do we retain the individual subset of users that we're seeing that's had there are a lot more use cases. Mm-hmm. I think Miro did set itself up very well with the community flywheel. So having mm-hmm. they they call it Mirrorneers. It's very cute. Um, Mirrorneers or power um, power users. They have the community. We have the creator creators adding templates to the list. I've seen people write resumes. Mm-hmm. on Miro, but have it purely visual and just have really beautiful, creative ways to express who they are in in workspace ways. And that that's amazing. So they can leverage the community flywheel that they've built over the past few years for now to re- just to keep that you um that broader audience and those those early adopters of Miro just satisfied. I think now that they're they have a new CFO they're working through sustaining growth and they 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 were hit by um they were hit by layoffs too so recently so now they're starting to get into the more mature phase of seasonalities and things in the job and developments in the job market they need to weigh in to um to that startup environment i think this is where they're going to go they're going to start small they're going to start small with the startups uh, giving the resources there 
Actually, no, start small is a little bit, that's, that's a misnomer here. They're working with Amazon. So they're, they're working with a big, they're aligning themselves with a big partner to start providing solutions for growing businesses. And I think as a startup with its roots, it, it, that's very appropriate. But I think, yeah, now they're going to probably start diverting attention away from that larger, more ambiguous user group to focus on the enterprise level of things. And honestly, um, I just took a look earlier today. The pricing, um, it's it's freemium. It's freemium for folks listening. Miro's freemium. And it actually has a pretty comparable pricing to Mural. So you're gonna they're gonna have a lot more competitors with a similar similar pricing range. They're almost identical, maybe apart from a dollar or a few cents. Well, there's a one fun fact. I mean, I was not aware about it uh, unless a few seconds back. Is that Miro has like 50, 50 million professional users. Mm-hmm. Miro service ninety nine percent of Fortune hundred companies right now. Yep. That means you can just say that 99 Fortune out of 100 are their customers. So they already have penetrated deep. Uh, they are, the, the professionals can be divided into the few categories, uh, engineering people, product managers, product development, design, educations, and more. So if I think uh, in that perspective, I believe that Miro has definitely helped penetrated deep into the professional world mm-hmm. where it has not penetrated yet is educational world from my perspective yes yeah so that's where i was going in, in the earlier part like i mean even before i i had i don't know i had that kind of sixth sense that there is there is something can be done in that space uh now let's let's uh talk about since we already done that uh we have talked about the miro's uh great features i think if someone is listening to to this podcast, they will become a Miro's fan just because of the way you describe. And Karen, uh, another fun fact is that you are the first woman uh, guest that is joining on the uh, peeling the product. So congratulations, and and we are so honored by that fact also. So let, let's talk about now the next part is that uh, we let's go back to the Zoom now because the journey started the same. They they are a little different, or maybe more, much more different than what we I'm just describing right now. So where do you think that these two players will, can they become a partner or they can, in the future, they can think about merging together as a, because the competition is getting intensified. They both need, uh, they are both competing in the same space. Mm-hmm. Can you think about having a merger happening between Miro and Zoom in the future? I'm, I'm, I'm talking something, I'm giving some clues to merger and acquisition people in the world right now. Uh, <laughs> but since I have a background in the finance world. So I'm just giving them clues. <laughs> <laughs> so Zoom's in a, it's a little bit in a competitive pickle at this point because teams are starting to gain more. I think they teams just boasted 280 million, million um, monthly active users. And so they're starting to pick up the pace and, and Zoom is trying to look to innovate at this point. And so there, we've heard that they're trying to adopt new AI tools. Honestly, maybe, maybe acquisitions are the way to go because they're not keeping up the pace in technical technological advances. And how can they compete with another, an OS or a super, a giant like Teams, Google Meet still, I, I, I let me preface this all by saying that video conferencing is here to stay. I mean, we're, we thought uh, with the whole balance between hybrid, ver, hybrid or fully remote versus fully in office work-life 
styles where um, Google Meet is still coming up with new technological advances. I think you can start um, going into, you can start showing video in 1080p. And so we're, we're seeing these bigger players start advancing and provide higher quality, more seamless experiences with their own different value propositions. And Zoom, I think, is trying to figure out how to get unstuck. So maybe acquisitions are the way to go because it's we often want to we often use Zoom because we want to share content. We share share screen is such a critical feature, um, for Zoom users in particular. And so, I think having maybe they it depends on how they want to go with this, but maybe they want something in house. But I think it would be cheap. Maybe it would be cheaper to buy rather than invest all of that engineering resourcing into developing their own tool. Um. Miro has established itself enough to be a formidable player. So maybe we it's interesting to wait and see. I think what was it, Figma and Adobe having the dynamic. So, so <laughs> I sorry, I will I'm cutting you off. Sorry for that, Karen. But oh. I would love to know from Trent. Trent, because thing about Microsoft is a giant right now. Uh, and I know Karen mentioned like a few times now, like the Teams is, is there and Teams uh, video conferencing. And being a Teams conferencing user, I have realized that the quality is not as good as Zoom, okay? So a giant is struggling right now with the video conferencing quality, and we have a Zoom which has established itself. And if even was saying that once the pandemic is over, the Zoom will see a decline in the revenue. But, but guess what? They haven't seen a decline. Mm-hmm. Uh, the revenue has increased from $2.3 billion to four point. 3 billion in the span of two years from 2021 to the first quarter of 2023, which is amazing, amazing growth story right there over there. But at this point, this is where I'm thinking and I'm thinking more futuristic right now. Like, mm-hmm. hey guys, uh, if I'm sitting with the two CEOs of the of the of these two companies, like, like Miro and Zoom in the same room, guys, where do you think where are you going right now? And now you think about the players like Microsoft. And there's a reason I'm asking that question because we have, maybe you have read that book, The Big Five. The Big Five is Apple, Google, Microsoft, right? And mm-hmm. Amazon. Amazon is definitely not a computer in this, this scenario, but the two players, Google and Microsoft, they can become computer anytime when they want at their wish, right? Yep. So the question is, guys, what are you doing? Do you want to continue as a competitor or do you want, because you are competing in some space? Even though you don't feel that way, but you are, and you you will become more competitive with, with each other. The what is the best approach? So I would love to know, Trent. What is your advice to them, and what do you think we are, uh, what they should do or they should not do? You know, the prospect of a merger between Zoom and and Miro is very interesting. I don't know if it's the route I would recommend. <laughs> um, partly because mergers can be very messy, and there's no such thing as a merger of equals. Um, and both companies have storied pasts and histories and reputations mm-hmm. to uphold. So I, I don't know that a merger would, would achieve the kind of synergies that, you know, we're talking about in theory, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. The difference between practice and theory. But um, <clears throat> I, I do think that in general, uh, despite their market cap, Miro should focus and double down on their key differentiators. Yep. And we've touched on a, a number of those. I think what makes them different will be their strength and should be their strength. And the, the, the trap of trying to build for everyone or trying to build for their power users only yep. Yep. is very easy to fall into. 
but it's one that should be avoided. It takes a lot of discipline to to kind of narrow your focus such that you know you really only spend time and effort making those things you're good at, you make them even better. Yep. Awesome. I mean, that's, that's a great point you just touched. And I will ask you, I will just expand on that question on, on that thought now. We'd love to know from both of you that how do you avoid that trap that you don't build for the specific user only or build for everyone? How do you avoid that as a product manager? Like, because it's always easy to, to get into that trap that I want to build this for everyone. Mm. In a couple of words, it's product discovery. I mean, to, yes. to take that a little further, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. understanding the personas, both, mm-hmm. both you know, your various buyer personas, why they buy, mm-hmm. user personas, what do they love? You know, you're, you're going to have some users that love a certain feature, mm-hmm. some users love another. Mm-hmm. Find out that n- none of your users mention a certain feature by name, cut, mm-hmm. the, cut the fat. Um, but yeah, understanding those personas and which segments you, you really resonate with, I think it goes back to the bread and butter of pro- product market fit mm-hmm. and your ideal customer profile. That's awesome. Karen, please go ahead. I would love to hear from you. Go ahead. Uh, to piggyback off of Trent's point, I think um, if we're looking in the macrocosm here, Microsoft, Google's, they're giants. They're mm-hmm. giants. Yep. Because they're giants, they're so heavily scrutinized. And if we think about all the lawsuits and all the the different mm-hmm. the different eyes that are on them from a legality standpoint, and we just anti competitive reason, we can go to anti competitive reasonings here. But they don't have much. There, there are some spaces where they cannot tread because they're so big. And so this allows smaller players like Miro and even Zoom. Even Zoom's enormous at this point, but it's still if you think about the giants versus. Like like Microsoft, Zoom is still smaller. So there are spaces when that where, as Trent mentioned, they can tread. They can start filling in and add maximize impact. And so I think going on um, in terms of product schooling here, understanding usage and understanding the metrics of highest impact features and just um, processes within their product and knowing that in and out really does play a huge factor. And I think user running user research is critical not just at one stage i think um when it comes to product development there's no we're not at one stage we're we're our minds are just broken up into all these different stages at the same time we're just <laughs> we're just trying to figure out how to make sense of those and that's our job that's what we get paid for and by the way miro is very useful for that you know oh, yeah <laughs> you a lot yeah. of different things I mean, all in one one uh space right yep I was about to use a word called product <laughs> management managers cloning. Basically, I have a multiple clones in the different stages working <laughs> together. And also, my mind should be thinking together also at the same time. My all clones should be thinking together and saying, okay, in this stage, this is happening. In this phase, this is happening. With this user group, this is happening. This is amazing, guys. Uh, sorry, I cut you off, Karen. One of the thought there. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, thank you, thank you. No, this is exciting. Um, I, yeah, I think... It's it's almost like having a mental map visually is like having the brain and the synapses and everything, to, as Yogesh was saying. Um, running user research all the time, understanding to a fundamental level what your users are actually doing. Doesn't matter what they're saying because they might be idealistic. Mm-hmm. They might they want they might want to have some kind of more impact than they are actually or more lofty goals than what they're doing in their actual day to day user behavior. So we I think and the mom test. Um, is an amazing book. Just it's a short read, but it's fantastic because because as a product manager, you want to dive into the behavior. It's not it's not the they don't 
your users might want to say, and this is not for Miro, but just as an, a, an abstract here, they might want to say they buy recycled jeans or something, but they just want to go to the denim store. They just want to go to the store and buy it and have it fast and efficient. So understanding what they actually do in your product and seeing where the impact lies. And you can even map out, they have impact maps, I believe, as a template on Miro, but understanding each and every single part of the sausage making process or the, the user journey, I guess, in this case, for your product is critical. And that's where you cut the fat. That's where you start delving into what matters most. And you will have people who will be angry. They will complain. And but you and you want to you want to make sure you're hearing that. But are they really are they a very vocal minority in this case? Or are they the core active users that you're looking to impact and make a difference for? So that I think tuning or understanding which is which is critical and that that starts taking into the that that's what's putting you into the mind of a mid-level or even senior product manager you learn to be able to discern that quite quickly awesome okay so we're almost at a, an hour mark right now um uh, i would like to ask like a last question probably uh or maybe trent you do you want to give a try right now i have some questions but i would love to you have give a try at this point sure i mean yeah as andrew would say let's land this plane right yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think my final question is you know what would what would you cut from miro that mm -hmm. that's there today i just as a thought exercise mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ooh, this is this is tricky let me let me think about this well, maybe not what would you cut but what would you improve like immediately that's obvious improvement if I look at Miro right now, oh, one thing, okay, one thing is definitely a pain point. It's um being able to share documents in a way that the thumbnail doesn't show this error not found because we're going to have, working in the company, you're going to have some documents that may come off as restricted. And especially if you're not, if you have a partner mm -hmm. who's not a Miro user, mm -hmm. it's hard for them to understand what document that is because it just shows like this, you're not authorized, even though they are technically authorized through, through Gmail for or, uh, G Drive, for example. So there is that. I they, definitely um, reducing friction in the viral loops is always going to be something that they're working on. They're going to work on that no matter what. So that that's a plus there. Um, I think easier multimedia approaches too. So for example, if I um, if I have a video thumbnail and I, I can play it because the video is inter integrated into my board, but if I mm -hmm. click away for it, for example, it pauses the whole thing. And so if I'm running a blue sky session with engineers and I'm trying to play focus music for them so that they can do their thing and they have their minds be stimulated with the music. And if I accidentally click on some instructions that I sent for them, it just pauses and it's like a screeching halt. So I think, and this ties more into having more seamless, fluid, digital to physical or whatever experiences, because you want to have more of a more, you want your, your expectations of having something play seamlessly is important. And I think um, there's some recent user research on the idea of the, the quality of the screen share or the collaboration in this case reflects on you because say you want to present a video or PowerPoint during mm -hmm during a Zoom session and it freezes or something's not working and it feels like, oh God, did I bomb that interview? It yeah. just like, so having more fluidity in those kinds of approaches and multi-media experiences will be really helpful in the future. One more thing, um, if I can improve it, offline capabilities, because if they want to expand, if Mayor want to expand in emerging markets and in places where 
your connection to your your internet connection might be a little more tenuous in some places. And especially if we think of like war-torn places that are rebuilding and if they want to expand in those emerging markets or recovering markets, having more offline capabilities might be helpful, especially for college students in the future. Hmm. I love how quickly you came up with that very first one. <laughs> it's like instantaneously jumped to mind. That's how pain is, right? We yep. Angry, yeah. angry, angry. <laughs> that's right. And that's so, the advantage of having a power user of Miro. On the- <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I would point to is to improve the, the first time user flow. Mm-hmm. I remember being kind of thrown into Miro the very first time and just feeling really clumsy and, and awkward about like, I don't know how to navigate this. And, and there were points where I was like, okay, I'm just not going to use Miro. I'm not going to be one of those people. Right. And it's, it's for the, them youngins, right? And so I think that's another way they could kind of expand their addressable market is to make it easier for someone who it's not intuitive for them. Oh, you're exactly right, Trent. I wanted, sorry, <laughs> I know we're running out of time, but this makes me really excited to talk about. Um, as a power user, you're going to be biased because you're so deep in the product that you, you start yeah. forgetting about that first run onboarding experience. And that's exactly the kind of friction I had when I was trying to introduce Miro to my engineering teams at Mozilla. Mm-hmm. but after getting over that hurdle, and it, it took human as well as digital collaboration to start jumping that hurdle in the first place. But once that happened, they started using that as their road mapping tool. And I thought that was beautiful. But yeah, getting over, the, remembering the hurdles. And I think this is where it doesn't, it, honestly, I think it's beyond Mira. It's just a product practice. Always appreciate um fresh eyes to the experience. I think especially unless you're younger product managers or product managers who just broke into tech because they might, if getting their understanding is critical to improving your onboarding because you're going to be so entrenched in the terminology of what you use, the process that you forget what it's like to be a first run user. Yeah. The I first totally- knowledge and familiarity bias come to mind. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Totally agree with you guys. All right. You know what, Karen? This was a super hit program uh, from the uh, the podcast from the perspective that uh, I had never used Miro. I've learned about Miro only through a couple of folks that I spoke with them in the past. But since I spoke with you, I have learned a lot of things now. I'm not a power user. I'm not a big guy anymore. I can say that for sure. Uh, That's amazing. Any last few statements from anyone, Trent or Karen? I can go first. (laughs) You should be. (laughs) (laughs) So especially if you are someone looking to break in, there are a lot of tools there. And at first, I I just want to say I was overwhelmed because there are so many tools. But I think as you start building your communities, as you start talking more about product and you're learning about product, it becomes a lot easier to start gravitating towards tools that work best for you. And there are tools that will work best for you. And you you don't have to, it's like, um, I love video games. So I'm going to bring this back in. If you're a Pokemon trainer, you don't have to choose a, a varied set. You can diversify your deck. You can, you can be a ghost type trainer. You can be a fairy type trainer, or if you want to go back to the original gens, fire type. But you, there are so many tools at your disposal, but I think having people in community weigh in on what they like and they find um as you start finding what your flavor is as a product manager and that could be in 
the products you're absolutely in love with or the things that are the ones that make you learn more about yourself, it becomes a lot easier to find and you start becoming a virtuoso with practice, practice, practice. But understanding yourself as a product, or not only as a product manager, so understanding yourself and how you want to optimize your life does factor in the, with the tools that you want to use and what kind of product manager you want to be. Very wise words. Yeah, let's just leave it there, Yogesh. We were, we've already run this <laughs> I know, I know. And it doesn't look like that Karen is uh, a two-year product manager. Like, I not at all. No, I would have guessed more like five years. Like, you're you're yeah. wise beyond your years, Karen. seasoned product manager now. Awesome. Well, I love thank it. You thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye.